Greetings fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. It's been a while, but I'm back, and today we have the Tier 7 Premium Japanese-ish cruiser, the Southern Dragon. Now, Southern Dragon is a bit of an interesting ship because it is just a carbon copy Miyoko. It is exactly the same as the Miyoko, so it is going to be a very good ship. I mean, I, I do quite like the Miyoko a lot. But, I mean, it still is a free ship that they're selling for $35. And you might be thinking, well, why would you ever want to buy that? Well, that, the answer to that question is it looks awesome. It is, in my opinion, the best-looking ship in World of Warships. Hands down, period. No competition whatsoever. It literally has a dragon painted on the side and glows. And you might be thinking, well, that's there's not much point in that camouflage then. Well, yeah, it's not really a camouflage. It's more just a design, and it looks awesome, and I really like it. So, yes, I have been waiting for this for years, and I went out and shelled out the $35 and bought it. So, um, since this ship didn't actually exist in real life, well, the Miyoko did, not the Southern Dragon, uh, we'll go into the history of the uh, Dragon Kings of China a little bit. Uh, just uh, touching on that, and then we'll go into the history of the Miyoko itself, because I was planning on doing a different uh, Miyoko-class cruiser for some history, but um, the Miyoko is the obviously the main uh, ship of the lead ship of the class. There's the words I'm looking for. Lead ship of the class, so it has the most history, and the other uh, ships didn't really have sufficient amounts of documented history, or at least published history, that I could find for a full episode. So we'll we'll maybe do Miyoko twice, maybe one time now and then one time later, uh, if I ever get around to actually playing Miyoko. Like, you know, the actual Miyoko and not just a reskin of it. First up, we're going to go into World of Warships news. Uh, and there has been, you know, a decent amount of news coming in and out of uh, World of Warships. Uh, the biggest news that we are going to focus on is the update 11 or 0.11.2 and essentially that is just uh rotating the pan-asian cruisers out of early access and putting the italian destroyers in early access now uh pan-asian uh cruisers have been uh, they've been criticized a bit for their lack of uh, historical realism as uh the tier 7 8 9 and 10 really have no historical basis whatsoever they're just kind of made up i mean the first line that's been actually like like, no documents or anything like that have been put forth by Wargaming citing uh, for their historical, I guess, accuracy. Um, but the the other two are, I mean, they're historically accurate, but they're just, as a whole line, they're not super great. I mean, they're basically just a bunch of Atlantis, rapid-fire cruisers, or flints, I should say, rapid-fire cruisers with smoke screens, although the Tier 5 and 6 aren't all that rapid-fire. Uh, no armor, no hit points, lots of torpedoes, torpedo reload booster... Yeah, so they're okay. Um, they're annoying for for destroyers, but really not for anything else, uh, at least in my opinion. Uh, Italian Destroyers Part 1, so for their early access, they'll be uh, fully available in 
two months, so looking at like May, um, May-ish, maybe early June. And uh, basically, Italian destroyers are the first line in the game to have a detection range that is longer than their main battery firing range. Yes, you heard me right. No other ship in the game has a detection range that is longer than its main battery firing range, and all these Italian destroyers do. So that makes them really strange. They're really torpedo boats up until, like, Tier 8, and then they're kind of gunboats, but most of them are just Palo Emilios. And if you know what a Palo Emilio is, basically, it's really fast. It has a emergency engine boost, which basically is less than a minute, but it's a 25% engine boost. Um, and the exhaust smoke screen, so even at maximum speed, you'll be fully concealed in your smoke screen. Um... Yeah, so it's basically you just exhaust smoke straight up to someone maximum speed with your emergency engine power going, and you try and murder them with your sap and your torpedoes. That's basically the gameplay of these that I'm seeing. Uh, they're really strong in uh, really close knife fights, but their reload isn't great, but the sap, they, yes, they do have sap ammunition. It hits really hard. No armor-piercing ammunition, but some mediocre high explosive. Uh... Yeah, the, the hit points are okay. Um, they're yeah, they're really just ambush predators. It's like Sirocco. Uh, if if you have listened to that episode, they're just ambush predators. They're really not like uh, long range gunboats or, or or anything like that. And I mean, ambush predators, night fighters. They're not they're not medium range or long range at all. They're just designed for a close range engagement. So it it's a new fresh play style. I like you can get these in um, uh, early access as any other ship. Uh, has since early access came around what like two years ago now uh, basically you just do some daily bu bundles um, which is the tier 2 is available with the free daily bundles um, tier 3 is with the paid daily bundles for 150 doubloons the tier 4 that was the tier 2 and tier 3 tier 4 tier 5 tier 6 tier 7 and tier 8 are available in sequential bundles for Italian tokens the tier 9 Adratico is available with paid random models for a thousand doubloons each, so don't even bother with it, just wait two months. And then the Italio Regolio, the tier 10, or Italio Regolio, yeah, um, you know, that's, we'll leave it that, the pronunciation. Um, yeah, you have to have all sequential bundles with Italian tokens, uh, and then you can get the tier 10 for paying doubloons, so don't even bother with it, just wait your two months, it's not worth it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting line. I'm glad that they introduced Italian destroyers because the Italians did have a really nice navy. Um, and majority of these ships are real. I think only two of these ships are fake, the Tier 8 and the Tier uh, 9. Uh, the Tier 9 is literally just a Tashkent. And what's funny about that is the Tashkent, which is real in-game um, and in real life, was an Italian design. They proposed to have another Tashkent uh, sort of, I guess, uh, class... Uh, destroyer in the Italian Navy, it never materialized, and nor did the Tier 8 materialize. But the Tier 10 is actually real. It's one of the few Tier 10s that we've had that, that was real steel, and you could walk on it at one point. So uh, that's cool. Then they have um, one of those uh, challenges where basically you pick one team out of four, and you complete a bunch of objectives, and you can get access to rewards and stuff. Uh, then we got Savage Battle. Really not interested in that. Basically, it's, um, uh, yeah, and I don't really want to go over it. It's just one of those weird battles that, like, it has a reskin ship, and it's got all these, like, unrealistic, um, 
I guess modes and things like that, and and reinforced bows on these where like basically the goal is like really close quarters combat from what I'm seeing here, uh, or like ramming's a strategy or a viable strategy. Um, yeah, not really gonna go over that. If you're interested, and you can read it, but most at least most of the people that I know don't really like it that much, so I will not waste my time on that. Um, so they've updated the mechanics on a ship spotting range. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, uh, World of Warships actually has a uh, pretty good explanation of it, but more or less the Reader's Digest version of it is you can no longer have a firing range that's larger than your own spotting range. Um, so the example they provide, and I'll read it verbatim, is uh, the Tier 8 North Carolina has a standard firing range of 21.1 kilometers. The minimum spotting range for a Tier 8 battleship is 30 kilometers. The dynamic spotting range for the North Carolina is 21.1 times, uh, which is the main firing range, times 1.25, which is their multiplier for the dynamic spotting range. It's just one of the spotting ranges you could have uh, that the system might choose for you. And uh, it'll always take the larger one. So that's 26.4 kilometers. Because largest value is applied, spotting range for North Carolina would be with a firing range of 21.1 kilometers is set at 30 kilometers. If we equip the ship with gunfire control system and artillery prodding modification 1, our firing range will be 27 kilometers. Notice that is larger than the other uh, spotting range, that dynamic spotting range. Um, our dynamic spotting range will reach uh, 33.75 kilometers, which will be the prevailing value for the ship spotting range in this case. So basically, dynamic spotting range is now bigger than the minimum spotting range, so we take that range instead. Uh, which the value of the ship spotting uh, will be the values of the ship spotting range in this case. If we also launch a spotting aircraft while in battle and increase our firing range to 32.4 kilometers, our spotting range in battle will increase to a value that exceeds 40 kilometers. Uh, as we standardize these values, the spotting range values of certain ships may either increase or decrease. Uh, this is, and they basically just say this is a simple value to show, a uh, simple example to show how uh, mechanics work. It's by no need a recommendation for selecting upgrades and equipment from North Carolina. Because you know there's going to be those people go out and be like, oh, it's a good idea to have a spotting range of 40 kilometers in North Carolina and a range of 32 kilometers, even though I'm going to hit absolutely nothing out there because my shelf light time is going to be on the order of 45 seconds. And uh, the amount of things a ship can do in 45 seconds is amazing, and you'd have to aim probably about five kilometers in front of them to even have a hope of hitting them. So yeah, don't recommend that build, but basically they're just saying that you'll have more of a buffer between your spotting range and your firing range. Um, or, because there were some circumstances where you could, the spotting range could exceed the, or the firing range could exceed the spotting range, and it got all messy and everything. So they're just trying to tie this up in one neat bundle. Um... So basically, uh, for those of you who maybe don't play World of Warships, uh, spotting range is the range where you can physically see ships. It's like your view range in World of Tanks. Like, outside of my spotting range, I cannot see anything. Even if it fires its guns and I'm within its main battery gun range, I still cannot see it. And the whole principle is, is that your fire control towers or on your mast are only uh, a certain distance above... Uh, the water. So basically, as you're like doing uh, trigonometry, if you remember from high school, uh, your hypotenuse is only going to be a certain distance long before you won't be able to see over the horizon and uh, won't be able to see any ships coming in. And essentially, a uh, good example is is like Z52, the Tier 10 German destroyer, has a spotting range that is less than the firing range of the Tier 10 Japanese battleship Yamato. So basically, the uh, Tier 10 Yamato can theoretically fire and hit the Z-52 without the Z-52 ever spotting it, even in open water. 
And uh, so basically, you can't actually see any targets beyond that range. And if your firing range is beyond your spotting range, you can't shoot at anything over there. I mean, you could, but you wouldn't be able to see it. So you'd have to blind fire based on the mini-map, and that's incredibly difficult to do. Um, also, if you go under the changes to game mechanics, uh, you can get your one-day premium account. Yeah, because remember, uh, attentive readers get a uh, premium count. Um, yeah, basically, uh, more visual improvements. There is, uh, brings improvements to the following effects, shooting main battery and secondary battery guns. A little bit of a tweak there. Uh, they don't actually have examples of that uh, in, um, in the updates. It just shows uh, some different effects like depth charges and shells hitting the water. It does look better. Uh, also, they added the lightning effect, which, which that is really cool for storms. Um, uh, depth charges hitting waters and islands. Uh, local weather effects and hotspot north Greece and islands. Ice maps. Aircraft explosions on the deck when the carrier is destroyed. Obtaining a super container rain. Smoke for camouflages and ships participating in events. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Uh, they also fixed bugs that caused incorrect effects to be played. Fixed bugs on the following ships. Satsuma, Midway, Ryuzhou, Prince Rupert. Uh, return the green smoke near islands of Rasputin, uh, near the sides of Rasputin Camouflage for the battleship uh, Tier Four Imperator Nikolai the uh, First. Soft particles checkbox has been removed because it uh, doesn't affect game performance on any PC, at least according to World of Warships. In the armory, new six-year World of Warships um, containers are now available for 2,000 coal. Uh, two elements of the same name collection and some signals. Uh, and you can grab a super container, six gift containers, and a commemorative flag for com completing the um, collection. Uh, dragon ship permanent, uh, permanent camouflage for Ragnar has been added to the armory as well. Various content additions and changes. Um, yeah, so just new current, uh, Irish permanent camouflages for Belfast, Belfast 43. Uh, hot wind permanent camouflage for... Uh, destroyers, uh, Italian destroyers that is, and Golden Sun uh, Camouflage for Premium Tier 7 destroy, Italian Destroyer FR-25, uh, new commanders for the Italians, um, yeah, and the French uh, cruisers have been, or the new French cruisers have been added for testing uh, by developers and community contributors, as well as some yeah, the tier uh, 10 Iwami and the tier 10 or, or tier 9 Iwami and the tier 10 Mecklenburg. Well, I can't read. And the super ship uh, Edgar are there. Um, basically, they nerfed uh, the United States, uh, the USS United States, and they also nerfed HMS Eagle. Uh, they improved the detectability of the Yamagiri, which is a Japanese super ship, uh, added an alternate firing mode and change the interval between the shots of the Yamagiri, and uh, nerf the Zorki, uh, buff the Annapolis, uh, nerf the Satsuma, and they majorly buffed the Hanover. The reload goes from 31.5 to 28 seconds on those huge guns. And uh, that's pretty much it. There's some bug, bug fixes and things, but there's a ton of those. Uh, also, actually, you know, the other changes improvements tab, there's one thing to note. They added new uh, sound effects or airstrike armaments. So all commanders, um, including like the Mighty Jingles and things, have uh, sound effects for like airborne and uh, like when your airstrike's ready and off cooldown, just to remind you that it's ready and maybe you should use it, which I think is pretty neat. 
Um, so that's it for World of Warships news. Time to get into the history of uh, the Dragon Kings first. So the Dragon King, or they're depending on who you ask, they're either called Dragon Kings or Dragon Gods or Dragon King Gods. <laughs> Don't know Chinese uh, deities of some variety. Or they're also called Dragon Princes. Uh, basically, there is four bodies of water, um, and there is four kings essentially. Uh, you got the Black Dragon King, which is uh, King of Winter, uh, King of Water, and he's King of the North China Sea. His name's Ao Shun. Um, you got the White Dragon King, which is the King of the West of Lake uh, Qinghai. Uh, his name's Ao Run. He's King of Autumn and Metal. Uh, there's a Middle Dragon King that's kind of weird. It's the Yellow Dragon. Uh, it's King of Earth and uh, the Year. And I can't pronounce, it's like Shi Yuan or something like that. Can't pronounce it, so, um, yeah. The uh, Eastern uh, Dragon King, it's called the Blue-Green Dragon. It's King of Spring and Wood and of the East China Sea. Uh, and then you have the Red Dragon King, which is the King of Summer, of Fire, and the King of the South China Sea, or Ao Quin, or Ao Jin. Uh, depending on who you ask, how to pronounce it. Um, basically... The ones we have in World of Warships are going to be Ao Guang and Ao Jin. And uh, so, respectively, they are the king of the East China Sea and the South China Sea. And uh, worship of dragons in China goes back several thousand years. Basically, they're just kind of seen as mythical creatures that uh, either protect or destroy uh, civilization uh, and can bring good luck in some culture. It, obviously, the culture deviates in certain uh, parts of China due to the size of China. Um, and the earliest, uh, the earliest, uh, excavations that we have so far of Chinese dragon worship is around 4700 BC. And I know I said it's the red dragon king that is, uh, the southern dragon, uh, in World of Warships, and you're like, well, the southern dragon's orange. Well, yeah, it's sometimes depicted as being red, it's sometimes depicted as being orange, just some slight variation. Um, actually, on the... There is a notable picture of a uh, temple dedicated to the uh, Dragon King of the South China Sea in uh, Sang. Okay, I don't know. It's somewhere in China. Okay, uh, give me a break with these uh, weird names, or not weird names, but just Chinese names that I cannot pronounce. Um, and the the temple is more of an orange. So yeah, kind of interesting. Just thought I'd mention that that uh, these are real deities. That deities, excuse me, that um, World of Warships is actually honoring with these. Uh, references to uh, to them in their ships and reskins of the IJN Miyoko. So IJN Miyoko, um, it's named after Mount Miyoko. Yes, uh, the uh, Japanese Navy named their ships after mountains or their cruisers after mountains in particular, to destroyers after winds uh, and different moons. So they were very uh, Japan. The Japanese arguably are the best at naming their ships because. Um, it, like Akazuki, which by the way I just got. Uh, as you know, as many of you know, I'm grinding up the uh, uh, gunboat line, and I did manage to get to the Akazuki. Uh, it means autumn moon in Japanese, and in like a very poetic way in Japanese. It's not just like your traditional. Um, it's not like fall moon. It's actually autumn moon or like autumn uh, moonrise or something like that. It, it has a few different translations because um, Japanese doesn't exactly translate precisely into English. Um, but I forget what Mount Miyoko means, but if I do remember, it's very poetic, similar to, uh, the name Fuso, which is kind of like the, Fuso means like a certain, like, tree, and it's, uh, I guess, it's like a representation of Japan, 
I I forget what the exact mythology is behind it, but yes, very just know it's a very poetic name. Um, so basically, uh, the Miyoko was ordered in 1924, built at the Yokosuka Naval Arsenal, laid down on October 25th, 1924, launched in April 1927, uh, April 16th specifically, commissioned on July 31st, 1929, uh, and uh, she weighed in around 13,500 tons for displacement. She was 661 feet 9 inches long, uh, or 201.7 meters. Uh, she had a beam of 68 feet uh, even, which comes out to 20.73 meters. Uh, she had a draft of uh, 20 feet 9 inches, or 6.32 meters. Um, she was equipped with four uh, geared uh, steam turbines, four campon boilers, uh, 100, for 130,000 shaft horsepower. She can make 36 knots, which is 41 miles an hour, or 67 kilometers an hour, uh, which is pretty fast for a time. She could... It was uh, the fact that she could pretty much outrun anything she couldn't outfight and outfight anything she couldn't outrun. These were very good cruisers uh, by international standards. Um, and she was equipped with 10 203mm or 8-inch guns and uh, double turrets. There were five turrets. Uh, they, they did pack a punch. They were very good Japanese guns. Uh, there were, she had six 12cm 45 caliber uh, or 120mm uh, 45 caliber 10th year type naval guns uh, for her secondaries. Uh, she also had the 127 millimeter secondaries as well uh, when she was modernized in 1935. Or Well, the 120s were taken off in 1934 and the 127s were put out in 1935. Uh, she had two 13.2 millimeter machine guns. Yes, not much anti-aircraft fire when she was built. That's where these ships struggled. Um, she was also equipped with a massive armament of torpedoes. The Japanese loved their torpedoes, especially their long lance torpedoes, and they were particularly large torpedoes. They were 610 meters across, or 10 millimeters, not meters, across. Um, and she carried 12 of them. She had decent armor, 100 millimeter belt, 37 millimeter main deck, 25 millimeter turret, and 75 millimeter barbette. So basically means that her armor scheme in World of Warships is pretty realistic to what she had in real life. Um, in fact, I think it's pretty much the same. Uh, maybe except for the bow. I think the bow's a bit weaker just for balancing reasons, but um, actually it doesn't specify what her bow was. So we'll just say it's the same. Uh, she carried three aircraft, and she could uh, dispatch these aircraft across two uh, aircraft catapults. Um, so basically her, her um, I guess, service before World War II wasn't super interesting. Uh, most of the Japanese Navy wasn't really doing all too much before uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, or at least the planning of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, one thing interesting to note is that uh, there was a naval review off Kobe, in, uh, on the 26th of October 1930, and while the ship was sitting uh, at anchor, the gases from the forward smokestack actually caused issues with the crew members working on the bridge at the time, uh, which is a issue because you usually have pretty important people working on in or around the bridge, so as a result, they lengthened the forward stack by a uh, two meters to just help uh, funnel the gases back uh, out towards the stern or the aft of the ship uh, away from... Uh, any crew members, because we don't want our high-ranking crew members to be asphyxiated by exhaust gases. That would be very bad. At the time of the attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, Miyoko was participating in the I uh, Imperial Japanese Navy 3rd Fleet, which was basically commanded by uh, Teko... 
take out Takachi, uh, and basically deploy to the Philippines to invade it. And they were very successful in this um, initiative, and uh, they managed to capture the Philippines. But on the 4th of January, 1942, uh, IJN Miyoko and other vessels of the 3rd uh, Imperial Japanese Navy Fleet were attacked by U.S. Army Air Force uh, B-17 Flying Fortresses while at anchor, and uh, she was hit by one 500-pound bomb, which caused only superficial damage, and there's no reported casualties in the log that I'm reading. The uh, IJN Miyoko then served as an escort to the aircraft carriers Shokaku and Zukaku um, under tactical command of uh, Admiral Hara, and um, they basically just escorted the aircraft carriers and they couldn't do much in this battle because it was a largely carrier battle and um, the IGN Miyoko did not have that many anti-aircraft guns at this time um, it did have some but just not as effective ones as the Americans and really couldn't do much uh, during the Battle of Midway uh, she saw no action unfortunately well I guess fortunately for the United States Navy unfortunately for the uh, Japanese Navy and was sent to escort the reinforcement convoy to the Aleutian Islands campaign uh, which was a large force but she ended up turning around going back to Hiroshima uh, Hashirijima on the 12th of July 1942 and really they didn't do much or didn't do too much on the uh, backside of 1942, but in May 1943, uh, Miyoko and her sister ship Haguros sailed north in the uh, evacuation of Kiska, and they returned to Seispo in uh, June for a refit, where she was equipped with uh, four twin Type 96, uh, 25 millimeter A gun mounts, and a Type 21 air search radar set. Also, uh, Type 96. 96 apparently was a favorite number of. Um, the Imperial Japanese uh, military, because there's like a Type 96 tape, uh, tank, uh, was a handgun, anti -air like a few different anti-aircraft guns, um, I think there's a Type 96 helmet too, there's all sorts of uh, Type 96 uh, weapons in the Imperial Japanese military, and it's kind of funny that they you know, didn't like differentiate in any fashion. Uh, I found that kind of interesting. Um, in the, and later on in the Gilbert Islands campaign, uh, Miyoko sortied with uh, a massive Japanese force in hopes of finding uh, the American carrier uh, squadron, but uh, was not able to find any squadron. Um, and on the 1st of November, uh, Miyoko and her sister ship Haguro sailed, with, uh, sailed from truck with two destroyers, uh, escorting a supply convoy to Rabble. Um, and from there, they sailed with light cruisers Agano and Sendai, and six destroyers to escort reinforcements to the island of Bougainville. Uh, there were a thousand Japanese army troops escorted by four fast destroyer transports, or carried, excuse me, by four fast destroyer transports, and essentially they just, um, uh, sailed ahead of these transports and engaged the American force at the Battle of Empress Augusta, Empress Augusta Bay, Jesus, I am struggling today with pronunciation, at 1250 on the 3rd of November. And basically what happened is uh, the American force of four light cruisers and eight destroyers sank Sendai with 152mm gunfire, and while avoiding this American gunfire, which proved to be remarkably accurate at this time, more than the uh, Imperial Japanese Navy was predicting, uh, she collided with the destroyer Hatsuki, or Hatsukazi. Yeah, Hatsukazi, there you go. Uh, from 
And basically, this destroyer then was crippled, fell behind a task force, and was finished off by American gunfire, which was, again, pretty accurate. Um, the Haguro had received minor damage, and the American destroyer USS Foot was crippled by a long lance torpedo, but would be repaired later and re-enter service shortly. So, just shows that uh, Japanese did not have a good time in that battle. In January uh, of 1944, the uh, Miyoko made an uneventful transport run from truck to Kavaling uh, and back, but uh, on the 10th of February, while sailing from truck to Poalu, or Palu, uh, the, with Adigo, Chokai, and eight other destroyers, Miyoko was attacked by the submarine USS Permit. Uh, she fired, or the Permit fired four torpedoes, but missed all of them, because apparently they didn't have very good aim, or the Miyoko was just that good at maneuvering. Uh, in March, the Miyoko and the destroyer Shiratsuyu escorted an empty tanker convoy from Apollo to Borneo. Uh, on the 6th of April, Miyoko was attacked by the submarine USS uh, Dace, or, and she fired all six bow torpedo tubes, but still managed to miss them. And the submarine USS Starter also spotted Miyoko, but was ever unable to maneuver into position for an attack. So it just shows you how good the USS submarine force was. I mean, in this example, they missed all their torpedoes, but it just shows you how numerous they were and how much of an annoyance they were for the Japanese Navy. I mean, U.S. Uh, submarines sank a lot of Japanese ships, and not just their transports and things. We also sank a great variety of their warships. So it just shows you how effective and, uh, I guess, unsung the U.S. submarine force was in World War II. Everyone is always, uh, you know, fanboying about the U-boats and everything like that, but the Americans were actually way better than the U-boats, especially towards the later parts of the war. Um, so, in June 1944, Miyoko participated in the Battle of the Philippine Sea. Uh, specifically, she participated in the uh, Battle of the Marianas Islands because of the fact that Japanese High Command realized that American heavy bombers, if they were based in the Mariana Islands, could reach factories and shipyards in the Japanese home islands. So this was a big deal to them. Turned out to be a disaster because it was called the Great Marianas Turkey Shoot by the American sailors for a reason, because of the fact that over 300 Japanese carrier aircraft were shot down in a single day. Like, how many per second is that? Or per minute is that? That's, that's insane. Um, on the 19th of June. However, during the Battle of Leyte Gulf, the Miyoko participated in the battle as the uh, part of Vice Admiral Teiko Kurita's uh, uh, striking force center, and essentially that consisted of four battleships and ten cruisers. Uh, as the center force tried to navigate the Suboyan Sea, it was spotted and attacked by U.S. Task Force 38, and essentially this consisted of airstrikes. Um, uh, the airstrikes mostly centered on the battleship IGN Musashi, but Miyoko did get hit by a stray torpedo uh, aft on the starboard side, which damaged both of her starboard screws. She bo uh, broke off from the attack and headed to Singapore at a speed of 15 knots, which is significantly reduced from her top speed. Uh, and she arrived on the 2nd of November 1944, making uh, temporary repairs and then departed for Japan to stop a Kamaran Bay. In, uh, which is in French into China or Vietnam, like present-day Vietnam. Uh, and French into China at this time had been taken over by Japan. Uh, en route to Kamran Bay, Miyoko was hit by another torpedo fired by the submarine USS Bergal uh, at uh, 1735 hours on December 13, 1944 on her aft port side, which blew away her stern, leaving her completely unable to steer. Um... And you can actually see aerial pictures of this. Literally, like, at the aft turret, the, turret, the stern was just blown off completely. 
um, which surprisingly happened a lot to cruisers. I mean, it happened to New Orleans, New Orleans, actually a bunch of different Baltimore and New Orleans class cruisers. So yeah, kind of kind of strange. I don't know what cruiser design was like that it was that weak at that point. I think that's probably where the armor belt ended or something like that. Uh, significant lack of support there, but it happened a lot. Um, this was not uncommon. Uh, Blue Warrior's stern left her completely unable to steer and dead in the water for a while. Uh, after because uh, the crew thought that all other propulsion systems had been knocked out because the screws had been snapped off. But it turns out that there was one screw on the port side that was still operable, and she could still make six knots. So she was towed by the destroyer Ushio, which is, I believe, a Kagero class, or no, Fubuki class destroyer. Um, and that destroyer also assisted in damaging the Bergal, but the Bergal was uh, not sunk and was able to return to Fremantle. Uh, in, I think that's in Washington. Um, and so, uh, several other ships, uh, towed her to Singapore for repairs, each of them kind of being used to, like, steer the ship, more or less. Um, and there was insufficient materials in Singapore to actually rebuild the stern of the Miyoko. So, uh, since she was still, uh, seaworthy, sort of, they decided to make her into a, um, floating battery, anti-aircraft battery, after the commander of the Singapore uh, port uh, like contacted the Japanese high command saying that they were not, would not be able to return Miyoko to Japan or repair her unless there was more materials, and they suggested for the time being that she be converted into an anti-aircraft battery along with Takao that had also been uh, damaged by uh, American submarines. Um, was hit by two submarine-launched torpedoes, so both of them were um, were anti-aircraft batteries. Uh, they were targeted by British, British midget submarine attacks on the 26th of July, uh, but they did manage to survive the war. Uh, Miyoko formally surrendered to the Royal Navy on the 21st of September 1945 and was towed to the Strait of Malacca and scuttled off Port Swetham, Malaya, uh, which is near present-day Port Klang, Malaya. And, um, yeah, and this was actually near the submarines I-501 and I-502, um, and, uh, I-501 and 502 were actually surrendered British Kriegsmarine submarines that were, uh, surrendered to, they surrendered to the Japanese, and the Japanese took them over and, uh, used them for a bit before they had to be surrendered to the Royal Navy when Japan surrendered. So that's uh, that's pretty much it for the uh, Japanese cruiser Miyoko in real life. Let's get back to the Southern Dragon and World of Warships. So we'll just go through uh, her stats first uh, without any upgrades applied. Th then we'll go over how you would play this ship in World of Warships. So the IGN Miyoko, or the Southern Dragon, uh, in this case contains uh, five... Uh, Five turrets of two guns each, 203mm, 50 caliber, third year type, uh, number two guns, and a model D turret with a range of 15.58 kilometers, which is a little bit on the low side. Uh, she has a reload time of 14 seconds, which is kind of normal for this. By the way, these stats are identical to the Miyoko, so if you know the Miyoko stats, you know the Southern Dragon stats. Uh, the reload time of 14 seconds, which is, I mean, that's pretty average for, for Japanese uh, cruisers and heavy cruisers in general. It's a, or heavy cruisers in general, it's a little slow side, but pretty much what you expect for Japanese cruisers. Uh, 180 degree turn time of 36 seconds. So that, yeah, that's again, that's a little bit slow. Uh, I'd like to see it a little bit faster, but it's not too bad. I mean, it's not atrocious, but it is, it's pretty bad. Um, Sigma, pretty decent, 2.0. Uh, maximum dispersion horizontal, uh, 132 meters. Uh, maximum dispersion vertical, uh, 80 meters. Um, don't know how this compares to other two 
seven cruisers. Um, it's it's more and it feels more accurate than things like the Surrey, but it it um, isn't a laser, so it is pretty accurate. It consistently hits its target. I don't have any problems with it. Uh, it's not it, it's not amazing, uh, not absolutely spectacular, but it uh, certainly does the job. Uh, HE shell is a two hundred three. 203 millimeter HE Type 0 shell, raw DPM of 141,429, uh, maximum damage of 3,300. These shells have a muzzle velocity of 840 meters a second. They weigh 126 kilograms. Uh, they have a depth explosion of standard 3 meters, standard penetration of, or standard HE penetration of 34 millimeters. Uh, burn probability is 17%, uh, which means you can have a burn probability per cell of 84.5%. Fires per minute of approximately 3.62. The AP is going to have a raw DPM of 201,429. Uh, maximum damage is 4,700, which I think is a bit on the low side if I recall. Uh, no, actually, that's average. Never mind. Uh, initial shell velocity is 840 meters a second. Uh, shell weight is identical at 126 kilograms. Ricochet is standard at 45 degrees to 60 degrees. Uh, is when the ricochet checks begin. Uh, will not ricochet. Uh, 45 degrees or less than 45 degrees will ricochet greater than 60 degrees. For those of you who do not believe World of Warships. Um, we have a depth explosion of 1 meter, which is standard, overmatch standard of 14 millimeters. Uh, arming threshold is 34 millimeters. Your fuse time is 0.33 seconds, which is standard. The firing angles backwards are good. Uh, actually, yeah, the firing angles backwards are good on the middle turret, that turret that's, on, that's higher than the ones around it. Um, but the fire angles on the first and third turrets backwards are atrocious. Uh, firing angles forward on the uh, aftermost turret, rearmost turret. Um, we have to talk in nautical vocabulary here. Uh, the aftermost turret is going to be uh, pretty good, and the second aftermost turret is going to be okay. So that'd be uh, X turret and Y turret. So Y turret would have the uh, worst firing angles backwards. So the firing angles overall, eh. They're 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 okay. Torpedoes, you're gonna have uh, 12 torpedoes and three tri triple tubes, four launchers, 610 meters or 610 millimeters, not meters. These are gonna have a range of 10 kilometers, and it has it in World of Warships FT is 9.99 kilometers, but I think that's just because it comes straight from the game engine. Um, so yeah, 10 kilometers. Uh, you're going to have a 17,233 maximum damage. Uh, reload time is going to be a really snappy 76 seconds. So these are, these are useful torps. Uh, one of my few cruisers that has useful torps. Um, torpedo speed is going to be 62 knots, which isn't too bad. It's a little on the slow side, but it's not it's it's not the worst we've seen. It's not a C mine, but it's definitely not quick. Detectability range is a kind of bad 1.6 kilometers. That leaves you about 10 seconds to react, which in most cases is plenty of time. Uh, chance of causing flooding is 287%. The firing angles are atrocious. Like, literally, you can only fire going backwards, basically. You cannot fire these torpedoes forward. You have to give complete broadside to get them off to something that's in front of you. Um, yeah. Airstrike is a joke. Uh, this is the uh, depth charge airstrike. It's an absolute joke. You have one flight, uh, which literally is one aircraft. And you're going to have 2,000 HP per of those aircraft or per each one of those aircraft so that's going to be um literally just 2000 hp in the whole squadron um 
the number of bombs on the payload is going to be three. Uh, 100 charge depth uh, charge bombs, Mark 52. Maximum bomb damage is only 1,600. So you can literally only do uh, 4,800 damage to a submarine. It's just atrocious, literally. Uh, the depth explosion is 10 meters only. Uh, chances of causing fire on a target is 12%. Uh, maximum range is an abysmal 6 kilometers. Uh, I got a 5 second delay on that. Uh, timer for the depth charge explosion is 4 seconds. So a total of 9 seconds from call to explosion. Uh, secondary armament's a joke. Don't even bother about it. A is also a joke. Don't even bother with it. Survivability is pretty much a joke. Well, it's not a joke. It's, it's got 39,200 HP, which is almost as much HP as the Zhao has. So, I mean... I mean, you put that in perspective as to how uh, much the Zao suffers in the survivability department. 30-second fires, uh, four fires, and total of DPS of fire is going to be 118, which means the total damage per fire is 3,500 HP, or 3,528HP. 40-second uh, flooding, two floods, uh, total damage per flood is going to be 3,920. Concealment is not great. It is going to be 12.75 kilometers. Uh, you'll see... A uh, southern dragon from 7.6 kilometers away after firing its smoke and went on fire that detectability goes up to 14.75 kilometers so not really great in the concealment department either um uh, concealment from air 6.55 kilometers maneuverability it's pretty good um you have uh 35 knot top speed which is pretty respectable uh full power forward is 40 seconds full power backwards 20 seconds uh, 8.22 horsepower per ton uh, turning circle radius is 718 meters. The rudder shift time is 7.1 uh, seconds. So the turning circle radius is kind of average. Um, it, the rudder shift time is good, however, and the rated turn I found is pretty decent on this, so it's not that hard to avoid torpedoes. Um, you can choose to mount, or well, you have to mount damage con, uh, infinite charge, charges, 60 second uh, reload time, 5 second duration. Uh, and then on this, you got def you can mount defensive AA fire or hydroacoustic search. Defensive AA fire is a joke because your AA is a joke. Um, so you're going to mount the hydroacoustic search that's going to have 4.0 kilometer ship detection, 3.0 kilometer uh, torpedo detection, three consumables, reload time of 120 seconds, consumable action time of 100 seconds. Uh, and then you have to mount a fighter, which uh, there's three fighters, three consumables, 3.0 kilometer action radius, 90 second reload, 60 second duration. Yeah, it's your standard fighter consumable. So for upgrades, we're gonna we're gonna go with main armor and spawn one. Uh, by the way, uh, as far as like modules are concerned, you have no module options, um, like nothing that you can research or anything, uh, as it's a premium ship. So it's just basically like a fully kitted out Miyoko. Um, uh, so you're gonna do main armaments modification one for the upgrades. Then you're gonna do steering or engine room protection. Then you're gonna, uh, you can choose between two viable options. Actually, I mean, you can do three viable options, but there's only two that are like the best ones. Uh, so you can do main battery modification two to get that turret traverse down, or you can do aiming systems modification one to get that dispersion down, um, because the main the, the main battery gun's traverse speed is not great. It is viable to go with main battery mod two. I believe I went with uh, aiming systems modification one. Yes, I did. Uh, just because I do like my shells to go where I aim them, and that's very important to me. Uh, you could go with uh, Torpedo Tubes Modification 1 just to get the reload speed down uh, and 
make them a little bit more reliable, but that's more of a secondary weapon on this ship, and I really don't recommend it. Um, although it is still viable. Obviously, you're not going to go a secondary battery modification one or a guns modification one because that would be bad. Um, as far as the force slot goes, you could go propulsion modification one, or you could go steering gears modification one. Um, I really really recommend steering gears modification one just to get that maneuverability down you can get your rudder shift down to 5.7 seconds uh, as far as commander is going to go uh, we'll set up for a 10 point commander uh you're going to take grease the gears just to get that turret rotation time down you're going to take priority target to know if someone's going to shoot at you you can take adrenaline rush to get that reload down because you will lose a little bit of health so i do want to get that reload down then you're going to have a concealment expert uh just get that concealment down because uh, you don't have a choice to mount the concealment module, so you do need to have the concealment uh, skill. It's pretty much mandatory. Then you want to come back around. You could uh, you could take uh, enhanced torpedo explosive charge. Uh, you could take survivability expert. In fact, survivability expert is probably a pretty good idea. Uh, demolition expert is also a good idea. I would not go with heavy HE and sap shells, even though you fire HE most of the times because that's going to increase your detectability, but that's already kind of bad. Um, so I, I really recommend going with heavy HE sap shells. You could go with top grade gunner. You'll be kiting a lot, so you probably won't need that. Yeah, uh, radio location is probably useful. Actually, it's really useful for most uh, IGN commanders, so I would recommend taking that before you take... Um, uh, survivability expert or well i mean survivability expert or radio location kind of go hand in hand depends on what you want uh radio location for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with world of warships or don't play world of warships basically just kind of gives you a bearing of where the nearest enemy ship is and that really helps you out when you're kiting so make sure you don't have anybody flanking you or anything because that's bad for cutting ships they generally want uh well it's bad for any ship because you want per uh, people on one side of you and not being a crossfire, but it's especially bad for flanking ships because you're on the flank and you're in charge of making sure no one gets around it. Um, yeah, so you, there's a lot of ways you can take this. You can go fill the tubes. You can go demolition expert. It's really up to your playstyle. If you're more of a, a, you like to use the torpedoes more, which I find to be hard to use in anything but a cutting situation. Um, it's it's really up to you. Uh, you could take Superintendent, although this thing does not really have that many consumables other than Hydroacoustic Search, so it's not really a great use of points. Uh, and you could take Inertia Fuse for High Explosive Shells, or IFHE as we call it in the World of Warships community, although you don't really need it, uh, especially this tier. Um, or at least I find I don't really need it. I mean, some people think they really need it, but I, I just like my fire chance. I don't, because you have a 12% fire chance, or 17% fire chance, and if you take that, it's going to nuke your fire chance all the way down to 8.5%, so it's really, it's really not worth that extra few mean, uh, millimeters of penetration. Uh, flags, you can take Juliet Charlie, make sure your magazines don't blow up, both fire flags, uh, speed flag, consumable flag, I mean, consumable flag's not super critical, so if you, if you uh, don't have many of them, that is the one I would recommend not taking. Uh, if you need to conserve flags, you could take fire flag, could take ramming flag, could take floating flag. I mean, it's really up to you. Um, uh, yeah, the only flags I wouldn't take are the, obviously, any of the flags that don't apply to this or hydroacoustic search flag, because it's really not that useful. You won't really be using hydroacoustic search much. So, uh, yeah, it's just better than defensive AA fire, because for that one time that you're going to need hydroacoustic search, you're really going to want it, and since defensive AA doesn't really do anything, I don't really recommend it, because the AA on this thing is not very good at all. 
So, how do you play this ship? Well, I mean, there's a few different approaches to playing this ship. Some people like to go to the middle and uh, just kind of float around there, sort of like a Montana-type play style. Uh, you float around the middle, just kind of shifting from flank to flank and just providing supporting fire. That's a very viable option. I haven't... That's not usually how I like to play my cruisers. I'm a little bit more aggressive. Um, generally, I don't go out into the flank with this ship. It's not a French cruiser. And while it doesn't do bad on the flank, it's just that uh, if this thing does manage to get cut off by from uh, reinforcements, it's not extraordinarily fast like a French cruiser would be. Uh, it doesn't have an extraordinary amount of firepower, although it is pretty potent. Um, it's just generally not super great on the flank. Uh, especially when it has to spot its own targets and everything. Although it does have torpedoes, and for some reason people do forget that it has torpedoes, even though it's Japanese. Anything flying a Japanese flag, besides maybe a battleship, and even a battleship sometimes, you should assume that there's torpedoes in the water. Yeah, but anyways, a little bit of tension there. Basically, don't go out on the flanks. It's It works sometimes, but sometimes uh, it's hard to kite from there, and then it works if you're going to push, but... It, it's less versatile. In my opinion, you support your destroyers in the cap circle, you go right up to the cap circle, especially if there's an island there, you go right up there and start turning around and just kind of slowly kite away. Um, if there's not an island there, obviously you're not going to go as close. Basically just go till your, um, till your detection range is about halfway through the cap, and, or halfway to three quarters way through the cap, then start turning around so by the time you get detected by a destroyer who's not going to be coming towards you, you are at least turned around ready to fire torpedoes into the cap circle at pursuing enemy ships, or you're just ready to kite and get out of there should you need be. If it's not that many, if there's not that many ships, use island cover to push up. Uh, if there are, there, if there is a lot of ships, you're going to use uh, be throttle juking and applying WASD hacks to uh, just make sure that no one's hitting you. But your job is just to kite away. That's basically what you do. And the reason why that 14 second reload is is uh, not bad and it's kind of nice sometimes because you're getting your maximum DPM while still maneuvering, right? Because let's say I'm in my Des Moines, right? My DPM relies on me shooting at every five seconds, right? Five seconds, five seconds, five seconds. It doesn't give me a lot of time to maneuver in between my shots, right? So if I stop maneuvering in between my shots and I start firing every eight seconds or something, it hurts my DPM. But if I have... I'm like a Miyoko or something like that, I can maneuver for 14 seconds before I have to fire again to to make sure my DPM is at its maximum level. So it gives me a lot of time to dodge incoming shots, get my shots prepared, uh, reanalyze the situation. It's a slower game style, but it's often more efficient. And I'm not saying that the Des Moines is better than the Miyoko or the Miyoko is better than the Des Moines. Uh, they all are completely unique playstyles, but it's just an interesting quirk of having a long reload. Um, so yeah, you support your caps, you just kind of meander around, uh, you don't fully kite away at full speed, never do that because then you'd lose too much ground, uh, what you really want is just to kite away at like quarter throttle, half throttle, sometimes three quarters throttle, unless you're really being chased down by something, then you can obviously gun it, uh, because this strategy does depend on particular situations, um, basically you're just gonna kite away, and as soon as, uh, you start to gain the advantage, you go dark, turn around, uh, and start pushing, because the danger of kiting away is that you either A or you run out of room, or the other side of your map uh, is a lemming train and begins kiting away from a few enemy ships or something like that, so you just, you have to be careful um, kiting, but it's a, it's a strategy that works in general. 
Obviously, there's nuances and things like that, and I realize that, but this is just a general strategy. Uh, just remember that you do have torpedoes. Uh, some people, you know, don't play a whole lot of ships that have torpedoes. Just remember to keep them firing. Maybe keep, like, one launcher on each side in reserve or dump all the launchers because you really don't have that long of reload, and they're not they're not really a, a weapon you're going to ambush someone with because of the torpedo angles. Uh, throw them around Science Islands at pursuing ships. Sometimes uh, they won't expect them, and if they're coming to, towards you at full speed, they have less reaction time because, remember, you combine the speeds of the torpedo when and the ship when they're coming towards each other and subtract them when they're going away from each other other um and it's principles of algebra you can look it up um and yeah so you just use them as aerial denial tools as things you throw in your wake and you're just trying to make yourself hazardous to pursue that's more or less the the play style of pretty much all kiting ships and especially japanese ships is you're hazardous to pursue as soon as one of these things starts kiting, it is really hard to kill. And it's really hard to kill without taking massive amounts of damage because they're kiting. Because they, it's easier to dodge things when you're kiting or dodging coming shells. It's You're impossible to land torpedoes on. No torpedo in this game besides maybe a Holland or like a European torpedo, really fast torpedo, is going to be able to catch up to you without the destroyer that's firing the torpedo being spotted or you being stupid and turning around. Um... You're just, and, and there's torpedoes coming in that wake. Beneath the bubbles of your wake are torpedoes, and those are hazardous. And you're just trying to make yourself not worth to pursue, so they change directions, so you can get damage on the enemy team. It's, you're just trying to be annoying, essentially. And as soon as stuff gets too hot or something, you go dark, and then they can't see you. Well, okay, that's... I know that's what going dark implies, but they, they can't do anything about you then. So... Then you reposition, you get in a better position, you wait till they forget about you, and you pop up on their flank and start annoying them again. And that's just basically your job. And you can rack tons of damage like this, you can rack up tons of kills like this. Uh, and this, I've seen people hold flanks with just one cruiser and allow even the most potato of teams, okay, maybe not even the most potato of teams, but pretty potato teams still be able to push to the other side or at least, like, you know, hold their line long enough that they could deal damage to an enemy pushing flank and turn the tide of the battle. So that's, that's your job as a Japanese cruiser, and the Southern Dragon is no exception. The only exception that Southern Dragon has is it looks cool. Uh, yeah, so that is going to be it for this episode of World of Warships. I'm um, hoping to get a new episode out uh, next week or the week following, but it may not happen just because of how uh, busy stuff is right now, but we'll try. Uh, you have any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions, please feel free to email me at rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and until next time, Captains... Captains... <laughs>